This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, January 13th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. On what basis did the President of the United States order the killing of a top Iranian general? Cato's Gene Healy discusses the fallout and the various legal claims of authority now emanating from the White House. It's not exactly clear. Uh, the They're supposed to... The, the administration gave the notice that's required under the War Powers Resolution on uh, last Saturday... And that's supposed to include uh, the statement of uh, the legal authority, legislative and constitutional authority that they claim to be relying on. But uh, that notification, uh, somewhat unusually, was uh, classified. The document is available only to Congress. Um, So even the legal theory uh, in in that document is, uh, it's kind of on a need to know basis and we, the public, don't need to know right now. To the extent they've made any public argument about it, uh, there's uh, uh, last week the president's national security advisor at a press conference did some gesticulating in the the direction of, uh, he mentioned the 2002 AUMF, that's the authorization for the use of military force that was passed by Congress before the Iraq war. and uh, did some hand-waving toward the president's, quote, constitutional authorities as commander-in-chief to defend our nation. Uh, and, you know, it's not clear how far they think these powers extend. Uh, on Wednesday, I put up a blog post where I was I asked whether uh, the Trump administration's legal theory would allow them to order a hit on the Ayatollah, uh, you know, under the same theory. He's uh, He's uh, the supreme leader of Iran is in the chain, the military chain of command. In fact, there were reports that uh, General Soleimani had a meeting set up with him to talk about responses to the U.S. in the region. So under this logic that says you can take out an enemy general, a top, uh, you know, a top regime official in a country we're not at war with, uh, you know, could you under the Trump theory, uh, you know, launch a decapitation strike at the whole Iranian regime and call it self-defense. Well, later that day, the day I put that blog post asking that question up, uh, Senator Mike Lee comes came out of a closed door briefing with uh, the Trump national security officials and uh, gave a press conference. You know, he's an affable you know, mild-mannered guy who's angry as any as anyone's ever seen him, uh, saying that they actually asked that 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 exact question uh, to administration officials. Can you know under this theory? Can can you guys put a hit out on the Ayatollah? And uh, the officials in that briefing refused to answer the question, yes or no. Uh, so I think uh, Mike Lee is right to be angry. Vice President Mike Pence at a Trump rally uh, recently said that uh, by way of sort of justifying this strike, noted one American life was lost at the hands of Iranian-backed militia. This was a a few weeks ago. Um, Does it matter that the the timing of this uh, killing of uh, Soleimani bore no obvious relationship to a so-called imminent attack? Well, they've said that uh, there have been two two different stories. The 
Pentagon, the statement it released on the the day of the drone strike, uh, didn't mention any imminent threat. Uh, mentioned Soleimani's position in the uh, Iranian leadership, and that uh, you know the, we we did it uh, to, in effect to uh, uh, increase deterrence. Uh, Secretary of State Pompeo said uh, imminent threat that uh, could caused the deaths of hundreds of Americans, provided no evidence for that, and has seemingly backed off of that. Uh, but the issue of imminence really matters uh, you know, to, to legality here. Uh, if you, unless, you, unless you embrace the, the John Yu theory, which is essentially that the president gets to start wars at will and Congress's declare war power is limited to uh, Putting the official congressional seal of approval on that and uh, in, in making it official under international law, unless you buy that theory, uh, this is being justified in part under uh, self-defense. Under the uh, you know everyone agrees that the uh, if U.S. forces come under fire, uh, the president doesn't have to get Congress to pass a resolution in order to shoot back. But as you go up that ladder of escalation from, you know, addressing an immediate threat uh, all the way up to, uh, you know, a decapitation strike on the, the regime itself, at some point you've left the, uh, the realm of self-defense and you are effectively taking acts that, that declare war. Um, and, uh, you know, the constitution gives that power to Congress. The president doesn't have that power. So imminence matters uh, in the sense that uh, you know, the, the more imminence, the, the more imminent uh, the uh, threat you're trying to take out is the, uh, the, you know, the, the better argument you have that it falls within that defensive uh, commander-in-chief power under Article 2, uh, which you know, they described that the constitutional convention is the power to repel sudden attacks. Uh, so if there is an actual imminent sudden attack, then, uh, you know, that conceivably falls within the president's defense of constitutional powers. There is the additional question of, uh, does it uh, does it fall within, does it repel an attack to, uh, you know, kill the commanding general? Um you know, the, are the are the plans that are supposed to be imminent just in his head? You know, if, if there's if they're actually imminent plans, you know, the somebody else can carry them out. Uh, so, factually and legally, that that story uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. And in fact, the uh, the claim that they they had intelligence on a uh, on an imminent threat uh, is, as far as we know at this point, a lie. <laughs> So what is the role of the uh, authorizations for the use of military force that Congress passed in 2001 and 2002? Of course, the, the both of them were fairly broad and have been used to justify all manner of activities that have absolutely nothing to do with al-Qaeda. In fact, some, some of the authorizations for the use of military force, at least the 2002 one, was used to uh, go after people who were avowedly aligned against al-Qaeda. That's the 2001 uh, authorization for the use of military force, uh, you know, passed three days after 9-11. Yeah, there are two 
uh, broad authorizations at issue here. Uh, neither one of them as broad as the administration uh, seems to think. The 2002 AUMF, that's the one passed 17 years ago uh, to authorize the Iraq war. Um, it's in relevant part, it uh, authorizes the president to use military force in order to, quote, defend the national security of the United States against the continuing threat posed by Iraq. Um, so unless the president's going to get out the Sharpie that he used to to change that hurricane map and change all the cues to ends in that authorization, it's hard to see how it uh, it justifies a strike against a senior figure in the Iranian regime who's been compared to uh, you know a combination of like a CIA director and a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and maybe a vice president. Um, it's not clear that that 2002 AUMF. Uh, by itself is enough to justify our continuing presence in Iraq in a war that uh, was supposed to have ended uh, several years ago during the Obama administration. The other relevant uh, authorization is the, of course, the 2001 AUMF, uh, which passed right in the wake of uh, of 9/11, and aimed at the perpetrators of 9/11. Uh, it's uh, it's, it's language is, uh, you know, allows military force to be used against those who authorized, committed, or aided, or the United, the, uh, nine 11 attack or those, or, or harbored those who did. And Iran is not a good fit for any of those, uh, conditions. Uh, it certainly didn't authorize, commit, or aid the nine 11 attack. Uh, there have been some Al Qaeda figures, before and after have transited through uh, Iran, um, and uh, the uh, but the the nine eleven commission found uh, no evidence that uh, Iran was aware of planning for the nine eleven attack. Um, so you, what you want to see to uh, link to have a, a valid link under that authorization would be uh, the kind of relationship you had between. Al Qaeda and the Taliban uh, pre 9/11, and uh, that's just not there. Uh, Secretary of State Pompeo and Mike Pence have been uh, making noise about a connection between Iran and, and Al Qaeda in, in an attempt, sort of, to shoehorn uh, this in to the 2001 AUMF. Um, well, if if it's un under that theory, uh, you could certainly uh, go after. You know, 18 years later, you could certainly go after, uh, start a war against uh, Saudi Arabia, whose connection to 9-11 is uh, much firmer and much clearer than uh, Iran's ever was. And, you know, if uh, Pompeo and Pence want to make an argument that the 2001 AUMF uh, allows them to, to wage war on Saudi Arabia, I guess I'd be willing to listen to it. The House has passed a, a resolution. Um, dealing with uh, following on the president's actions uh, with respect to Iran, um, that isn't expected to go anywhere. What does it specifically say? Uh, so there's the resolution that just passed in the House, and there's a, a, a similar uh, measure that's uh, that's being considered in the Senate. 
Uh, it's under the War Powers Resolution. It's, it directs the uh, president to uh, cease hostilities uh, against uh, Iran. Now, the one that just passed in the House uh, is a concurrent resolution that doesn't have to be signed and cannot be vetoed by the president. And, uh, you know, for that reason, it's sort of uh, it's just a, it's a statement of Congress, more or less. Uh, I think it was worth doing um, the you know, it, it's not going to actually legally bind the president. Um the parallel measure in the Senate from Senator Tim Kaine is a joint resolution, which uh, you know is supposed to have the effect of law, but it has to go past the president's desk to get there, and they need a supermajority in order for it to to override his veto. Um, I think both of them are largely symbolic, but it's important symbolism. The uh, you know that Congress is against this. The problem is that. Um, you know, the situation I just described where the president has the freedom to act, to uh, essentially stumble or rush headlong into a war, and it takes a supermajority of Congress to rein him in, that's the Constitution turned upside down. Uh, that is not the way that uh, the framers designed the constitutional allocation of war powers. The system for going to war is that Congress makes the decision to to go from peace to war. Uh, as uh, James Wilson said uh, at uh, the Pennsylvania Ratifying Convention, this system will not hurry us into war. It's calculated to guard against it because it's not going to be the power of a single man to, to embroil us in that kind of trouble. Uh, well, that's the... That's the opposite from the system that we've drifted into here, and I think uh, the dangers where it, you know it seems in recent days uh, things have calmed down uh, from the the height of uh, you know a few harrowing moments the the other uh, night when missiles were raining down on bases in Iraq with American soldiers uh, tensions have. I wouldn't say cooled, but cool, cooler heads. It, it looks like uh, you know may prevail. It's insane that we've staked so much on you know the self restraint of a the Islamic Republic of Iran and b uh, a president who uh, rage tweets about uh, potential war crimes that uh, that he's threatening. Um, this is not the way it's supposed to work. We, you know, we we can do something about that last bit that we uh, have invested so much power to embroil us in war in uh, one person. And I think this this whole uh, episode really ought to be a wake up call about longer term uh, war powers reform. Gene Healy is a vice president at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.